Welcome to the Inspirational Living Podcast, brought to you in part by Book of Zen, makers of inspirational fashion and gift ideas. Visit them online at bookofzen.com. Today's podcast has been edited and adapted from a speech that Teddy Roosevelt delivered in Paris, France in 1910. As a country grows, its leaders of thought and of action grope their way forward to a new life, realizing, sometimes dimly, sometimes clear-sightedly, that the life of material gain, whether for a nation or an individual, is of value only as a foundation, only as there is added to it the uplift that comes from devotion to loftier ideals. The new life we seek can in part be developed anew from what exists in our new world, but it can be developed in full only by freely drawing upon the treasure houses of the old world, upon the treasures stored in the ancient abodes of wisdom and learning. It is a mistake for any nation to merely copy another, but it is even a greater mistake, a proof of weakness in any nation, not to be enthusiastic to learn from one another and be willing and able to adapt that learning to the new national conditions and make it fruitful and productive therein. A democratic republic such as ours an effort to realize, in its fullest sense, a government by, of, and for the people, represents the most gigantic of all possible social experiments, one that is fraught with great responsibilities alike for good and for evil. For us, the question of the quality of the individual citizen is supreme. In the long run, success or failure will be conditioned upon the way in which the average man and the average woman does his or her duty. First, in the ordinary, everyday affairs of life, and next, in those great occasional cries which call for heroic virtues. The average citizen must be a good citizen if our democratic nations are to succeed. The stream will not permanently rise higher than the main source, and the main source of national power and national greatness is found in the average citizenship of the nation. Therefore, it behooves us to do our best to see that the standard of the average citizen is kept high, and the average cannot be kept high unless the standard of the leaders is very much higher. Let the individual of learning and scholarship beware of the temptation to become a cynic, someone who has outgrown emotions and beliefs, and to whom good and evil are as one. The poorest way to face life is to face it with a sneer. There are many people who feel a kind of twisted pride in cynicism. There are many who confine themselves to criticism of the way others do what they themselves dare not to even attempt. There is no more unhealthy being, no person less worthy of respect, than the individual who holds 
an attitude of sneering disbelief toward all that is great and lofty. A cynical habit of thought and speech, a readiness to criticize work which the critic themselves never tries to perform, an intellectual aloofness which will not accept contact with life's realities. All these are marks, not as the possessor would like to think, of superiority, but of weakness. They mark the individual as unfit to play their part in the drama of life, who seeks, in their contempt for achievements of others, to hide from others and themselves their own weakness. It is not the critic who counts, not the one who points out how the strong person has stumbled, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the men and women who are actually in the arena, whose faces are marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strive valiantly, who err, who come short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. These are the brave souls who actually strive to do the deeds, who know great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spend themselves in a worthy cause, who at the best knows the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if they fail, at least fail while daring greatly, so that their place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Shame on those citizens of cultivated taste who permit refinement to develop into a fastidiousness that makes them unfit for doing the rough work of a workaday world. Among the free peoples who govern themselves, there is but a small field of usefulness open for the cloistered life, where men and women shrink from contact with their neighbors. Still less room is there for those who deride what is done by those who actually bear the brunt of the day, nor yet for those others who always profess that they would like to take action, if only their conditions of life were a little different. The person who does nothing cuts the same sordid figure in the pages of history, whether they be a cynic, a fop, or an idler. There is little use for the being whose tepid soul knows nothing of great and generous emotion, of high pride, and the stern belief and lofty enthusiasm of those who quell the storm and ride the thunder. Well for these brave souls, if they succeed. Well also, though not so well, if they fail, given that they have nobly ventured and have put forth all their heart and strength. Let those who have keep, let those who have not strive to attain, a high standard of cultivation and scholarship. But let us remember that these stand second to certain other things. There is a need of a sound body, and even more so a sound mind. But above mind and above body stands character the sum of those qualities which we mean when we speak of a person's force and courage, of their good faith and sense of honor. I believe in exercise for the body, 
provided that we keep in mind that physical development is a means and not an end. I believe, of course, in giving to all the people a good education. But the education must contain more than book learning in order to be really good. We must ever remember that no keenness and subtleness of intellect, no polish, no cleverness, in any way make up for the lack of the great solid qualities that define the good citizen. Self-restraint, self-mastery, common sense, the power of accepting individual responsibility, and yet of acting in conjunction with others, courage and resolution, these are the qualities which mark a masterful people. Without them no people can control itself or save itself from being controlled from the outside. Our great universities represent the flower of the highest intellectual development, and I pay homage to the intellect and to elaborate and specialized training of mind. Yet I know I shall have your assent when I add that more important still are the commonplace, everyday qualities and virtues. Such ordinary everyday qualities include the will and the power to work, to fight when the need arises, and to raise healthy children. The average person must earn their own livelihood. They should be trained to do so, and they should be taught to feel empty and unfulfilled if they do not do so. Thus they will not become an object of envy if they are idle, at whichever end of the social scale he or she stands. No refinement of life, no delicacy of taste, no material progress, no sordid heaping up of riches, no sensuous development of art and literature, can in any way compensate for the loss of these great fundamental virtues. Character must show itself in our performance, both of the duty we owe ourselves and of the duty we owe our country and fellow citizens. Your foremost duty is owed to yourself and your family, and you can do this duty by earning money and providing what is essential to their material and emotional well-being. It is only after this has been done that you can hope to contribute to the country's well-being. You must pull your own weight first, and only after this can your surplus strength be of use to the general public. It is not good to excite that bitter laughter which expresses contempt, and contempt is what we feel for the individual whose enthusiasm to benefit mankind is such that they are a burden to those nearest them the kind of person who wishes to do great things for humanity in the abstract, but who cannot keep their family in comfort, educate their children, or even take care of themselves. Having pointed out the importance of earning money and establishing material well-being for oneself and one's family, let me now add that it is a bad thing for a nation to raise and to admire a false standard of success and there can be no falser standard than that set by the deification of material well-being, in and for itself. The individual who, having far surpassed the limits of providing for the wants of the body and mind, of themselves and those dependent upon them, 
then piles up a great fortune that provides no corresponding benefit to the nation as a whole, should themselves be made to feel that they are an unworthy citizen of the community, who is neither admired nor envied. In short, a good citizen in a democratic republic must realize that they ought to possess two sets of qualities, and that neither avails without the other. You must have those qualities which make for efficiency, and you must also have those qualities which direct that efficiency into channels for the public good. A person is useless if they are inefficient. There is nothing to be done with that type of citizen of whom all that can be said is that they are harmless. Virtue which is dependent upon indolence is not impressive. There is little place in active life for the timid good man or woman. The individual who is saved by weakness from robust wickedness is likewise rendered immune from robuster virtues. The good citizen must first of all be able to hold their own. We are not good citizens unless we have the ability which will make us work hard and which at need will make us fight hard. The good citizen is not a good citizen unless they are an efficient citizen. However, if our efficiency is not guided and regulated by a moral sense, then the more efficient we are, the worse we are, the more dangerous to the body politic. Courage, intellect, all the masterful qualities serve but to make us more evil if they are merely used for our own advancement with brutal indifference to the rights of others. The good citizen must have high ideals, yet they must be able to achieve them in a practical fashion. No permanent good comes from aspirations so lofty that they have grown fantastic and have become impossible and indeed undesirable to realize. The impractical visionary often becomes the embittered foe of the real reformer, who despite stumblings and shortcomings, does in some concrete way, in practical fashion, give effect to the hopes and desires of those who strive for better things and a better life. Abraham Lincoln, a man of the plain people, blood of their blood and bone of their bone, who all his life toiled and wrought and suffered for them, who always strove to represent them, spoke of a doctrine of equality with his usual mixture of idealism and sound common sense. To paraphrase Lincoln, this is what he said. I think the authors of the Declaration of Independence intended to include all men and women, but they did not mean to declare all of them equal in all respects. They did not mean to say all people were equal in size, intellect, moral development, or social capacity. They defined distinctly in what areas they did consider all men and women created equal. Equal in certain inalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This they said and this they meant. They did not mean to assert the obvious untruth that all were actually enjoying that equality, 
or yet that they were about to confer it immediately upon them. They meant to set it up as a standard maxim for a free society, on that it is constantly looked to, constantly labored for, and even though never perfectly attained, constantly approximated, thereby continually spreading and deepening its influence, and augmenting the happiness and value of life to all people, everywhere. The Inspirational Living Podcast is a production of The Living Hour. For free transcripts of our podcast, please go to livinghour.org. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider becoming a patron. You can become a patron for as little as a dollar a month, which will ensure that we can continue our podcast for years to come. To become a patron, please visit patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Simply do a quick search for the Inspirational Living Podcast at patreon.com to find our Patreon page and learn more, including the free gifts we offer to every patron. Subscribe to our free podcast today at the iTunes Store, or at Google Play, or at stitcher.com. Thank you for listening. We look forward to being with you next time.